0: Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. Very excited for this week's episode. There's a lot going on in the news. Uh, we've got a new sexual predator. That's exciting. New sexual predator just dropped. Uh, Russell Brand uh, has been exposed as a sexual predator, which I got to say, is actually very on-brand, excuse the pun, uh, even though it was deliberate. It's very on-brand for Russell Brand to be a sexual predator. If you just look at his uh, his body of work, uh, he's uh, yeah, he's he did it. That's, let's just go with that. He definitely did it. I'm not even going to say um, allegedly. Now nah, the guy is a sex pest, and he deserves what's coming to him. Of course, some people don't believe the allegations. i uh, have got a bunch of sycophants on the internet who don't believe him. I'm going to unpack why. Sorry, they don't believe the acu- the accusers. I'm going to unpack why they don't believe the accusers. On today's episode, uh, then we're going to talk about uh, BHP coming out and supporting the Voice to Parliament. Isn't that great? When a mining company, whose job is to uh, b- blow up indigenous land, comes out and says, "Hey, we're one of the good ones. We also support the Voice to Parliament," and it's definitely not because we know that this is. Uh, reputationally important to us so that we can continue to blow up sacred sites no 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 we care about indigenous representation so good on bhp for leading the way for the other mining companies of course warren mundine has kind of stuck his foot in it because uh, he's been a big uh supporter of the no campaign and the and the no campaign has been like hey look we got an indigenous man who's uh who, who's on our side so that means that uh you know we're not racist uh, and Warren Mundine uh had a bit of a train record of an interview where he said look I, I think that we should vote no however I do support uh, a treaty with indigenous people and change the name of Australia Day and now everyone on the no came out is like ah shit Ugh. he went off script we didn't want him to talk about those things, so that's going to be fun to chat about. And just a bit of fun at the end of, the, at the end of this episode, I'm going to talk about how uh, there's been a fantastic uh, meeting between uh, two of the great leaders of our time, uh, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. They've got them together. The dream team is together. Uh, it's great to see two blokes uh, just rekindling their their, their bromance uh, and exchanging uh, weapons of mass destruction in the process, which I think is the foundation of any kind of... Strong friendship. Of course, before we get back into that, we're going to have to uh, play the intro music. In fact, before I play the intro music, let me just give you a bit of a plug about my upcoming shows. I'm performing in Zurich this Friday, the 22nd of September. I'm very excited to see how they respond to my jokes about the Holocaust. Will they laugh? Will they boo? Or will they remain neutral? Let's find out uh, on Friday nights together. If you're in Zurich, then I've got a show uh, in London on the 28th of September. That's selling really well. It might be sold out. Head to the website for the details on that, michaelshafer.com. About to throw on a show in uh, Paris in October, and then I'll be back in Australia for a bit of a whirlwind uh, couple of weeks to fulfill some contractual obligations that I committed myself to before I moved to the UK. So in order to avoid losing a lot of money, I'm flying back to Australia to do some shows in Frankston. On the 14th of October, Neri Warren on the 21st of October, and then Melbourne on the 28th of October. So come along to that and uh, head to my website, like I said, MichaelShaver.com, for all the details there. Now, without further ado, sorry for uh, delaying this. I know it's your favourite part of the podcast. Please enjoy the next 30 seconds. Enjoy this intro music. Uh, I think it's pretty good stuff. As I say uh, on some episodes, I spent 200 Australian dollars on this intro music. So I'm going to play it uh, every episode, every goddamn episode. Maybe I'll play it twice today just to ensure that I keep getting my money's worth. So enjoy the next 30 seconds uh, or you can skip ahead and I'll be uh, talking about the news very shortly. That's one small step for podcasts. Podcast. One giant leap for comedy. We are stripped down and ready. But I ain't spending any time. Please explain. I'm going to. Okay? Guys, as some of you uh, know, I I now live in the UK. I moved from Melbourne to London uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, I have to say look, the timing is not great. The timing is not great. Moving to the UK after, just after, kind of like Brexit has happened, it's kind of like uh, boarding the Titanic just after it's hit the iceberg. It's not good timing, and there isn't long left because this 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 country is is quite literally uh, crumbling, and I mean that in the literal sense of the word if you're in Australia, you might not be aware of this story, but it's been a huge story in the UK, is that uh, their schools are collapsing because they made them out of this concrete 40 years ago. And the concrete they used to make all their schools uh, expires after 40 years. So they have to uh, like knock all their schools down before it falls on the kids. Uh, literally, the, the the country is literally falling apart. Isn't th- I, I feel sorry for like refugees who like fled like the bombings in Syria because they were worried about... Their, their houses collapsing only to come to this country to discover that uh, the buildings here are collapsing too because the concrete is going off like it's a bag of spinach that you left in the fridge for a bit too long. It's crazy how much this country is deteriorating before my very eyes. And what's really quite upsetting to me is that my visa to, to come here was quite expensive. It was about uh, three and a half thousand uh, pounds for my, my five year ancestry visa. And uh, I got to say, I feel like it should have been a little bit discounted. Like I feel like the cost of the visa to move to any, any country should really be dependent on how well how well that country is doing at the time. It should be completely based on the value of the visa. You know, like, for example, if you wanted to move to the UK, you know, in like 500 years ago, when it was at its peak and it was going around colonizing different parts of the world and, uh, and stealing resources from African nations, that's when it was really kind of peaking, that's when you really want it to be in the UK, then I can understand charging an exorbitant amount to move. But like joining, like going to the UK now in 2023, just after Brexit, now that the schools are crumbling and there's train strikes every day. Honestly, it should be a discounted visa. I think it should be the way that supermarkets discount fruit when it's going off the next day. They should be like, Hey, you can have this visa at a cheap price because it's not going to be worth much tomorrow. Anyway, I think that's the way that visas should operate yeah, I mean, in that case, if you wanted to move to the, to the US right now, uh, they should pay you to move to the US uh, because let's be honest, things aren't going well there. That's why I'm gi- genuinely shocked by the crisis they have at the southern border. You've got all these people from like, you know, Mexico, Honduras, Central America, you know, crossing the border into, into Texas right now. And I can only presume they're doing that because they're like on their way to Canada. They're obviously like just passing through to get to Canada because why would you want to move to the U.S.? There's no healthcare uh, and their president is dead. So he's, he's been propped up by strings. So I don't know why immigrants would want to move to America right now. I know there's a crisis at the border. I think the solution to that crisis would be to simply, if you were America, just be just build like a giant, one of those giant, you know, those travelators you see at the airport, So when your like, gate is very far away, you just stand on the travelator and you can uh, get to your gate quicker. I think the U.S., what they could do to solve the crisis they have at their southern border, uh, and it is a crisis. That's I watch a lot of Fox News, so I know it's a crisis. And uh, look, I watch Fox News by the way for the material, not to be informed. But I think that uh, America, if they want to, if they want to solve this crisis they have, just build a travelator from the southern border of Texas all the way to like the northern border of uh, Illinois, just all ac- all through the country. Just build a travelator, and then that way when the migrants cross into america they just stand on the travelator and it just carries them across the southern part all the way through the country up to the north to canada where they get to a country that uh, you know has universal health care and uh, has a president who is at least young enough to know where he is uh, most of the time um sure he their president also has well their prime minister trudeau also did blackface but Let's be honest, um, you know, that's not any more racist than anything that Trump has said. So, all I'm saying is that if the US really want to solve that problem, let's get the let's build the travelator. but Don't build the wall. Trump has been like, build the wall. No, build the travelator, get them from the southern border to Canada. Problem solved. Anyway, my point that I'm getting at is that things in the UK are not going well at the moment. And uh, I'll tell you what though. At least the UK. What is going on in the UK is that uh, sex pests are finally being exposed, and Russell Brand uh, is finally, after uh, you know many years of kind of being uh, known as a, as a sexual abuser in the industry, uh, has finally been exposed as uh, a sexual predator. And I've only been like in the UK comedy industry for a couple of months, but even from being here from a short amount of time, like. There's there's always clearly those suspicions and those rumors have existed for a very, very, very long time. I mean, just a couple of nights ago, I was I was at a gig and one of the other comedians said that there was this uh, big news story about to break about a sexual predator in the UK comedy scene and they hadn't been named yet. And I said to this other comedian, oh, who, do, you, do people know who it's going to be? And this comedian said to me, oh yeah, it's going to be Russell Brand. Because like, everyone knows that he's like the most high profile sex pest in the country who hasn't yet been outed so russell brand basically like the the harvey weinstein of the uk uh, probably a bit better looking but uh still uh, very much uh, a sex pest uh, a rapist uh, and uh, a sexual abuser again very on brand i mean this is a guy who literally like did comedy for decades about how he uh, had a sex addiction and how he had a drug addiction and he bragged about having sex with thousands of women. And so just just by the numbers, you could be like, well, if you've had sex with a couple of thousand women um, over the course of these decades, there's a good chance that not all those encounters were sexual. Just just crunching the numbers, you know, that's all I got to say, you know, say what you will about, you know, the incels, you know, these uh, creepy men who like lurk on the internet and say, you know, awful, uh, awful, racist, misogynistic, sexist things on the internet. At least, At least these guys you know, are not rapists uh, just because, you know, they're not having any sex whatsoever. So at least the uh, the abstinence in their lives prevents them from being a rapist. However, uh, for Russell Brand, all the sex he's having uh, kind of lends itself to a life of, of raping and sexual assault. What I find insane as well about the people defending him is that, like, I've been saying this on Twitter quite a few times, which is truly the most batshit crazy and most narcissistic response to these accusations, I've seen multiple women who are obviously fans of his come out and say, well, you know, I met Russell, you know, at a gig once years ago and he was very nice and he was very polite and he was very respectful and he didn't rape me. So, you know, it's, I I don't believe therefore the the multiple accounts of other women who have come forward and said that he raped them or sexually abused them in some way. And which is kind of like saying, you know, um, Hitler didn't kill me. So, um, how are we to know that he really killed anyone? Um, you know, I watched the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary, and sh- look, apparently he ate, you know, over a dozen men. But um, I was never eaten by Jeffrey Dahmer. So, you know, I- I'm starting to question whether or not there's a big conspiracy to cancel Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, you know, not all women were murdered by Ted Bundy, for example. You know, Ted Bundy did murder murdered dozens of women, um, but not all women were murdered by him. Um, and we know that because um, there are still women today who exist, um, who, who somehow managed to escape being murdered by Ted Bundy. But that doesn't mean that Ted Bundy didn't murder any women. So I guess my point is that if, if your view is that, oh, Russell Brand can't be a sex best because I once had a nice interaction with him, uh, you're insane and you're a moron and you're also a narcissist, for somehow making uh, this story about yourself. You know, it's equivalent to saying, well, um, I just had lunch, so I can't imagine uh, that uh, starvation exists anywhere. No, 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 he just didn't rape you. He just didn't sexually assault you. And I'll be honest, if he didn't sexually assault you and he didn't rape you, um, despite having a history of, of assaulting and abusing many women, I mean, that's almost uh, an insult, isn't it? You know, if he didn't find you attractive enough to sexually assault that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of upsetting, isn't it? Because this is a man who had a sex addiction. You know, he was fucking everyone and everything a lot of the times without consent. And uh, if you go out and say, oh, well, he didn't have sex with me, um, that's kind of a self-own, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like being the only kid uh, at, this, on, at the scouts camp who doesn't get molested. You know, that you, you, at that point, if you're the only one that doesn't get molested, you start to wonder you know, is am I not desirable to the pedophiles? So I, I guess my point is that um, if you think that Russell Brand is innocent because he didn't rape you, uh, you're a moron, uh, and you should really uh, consider what is it about yourself that makes you so repulsive to a man who will fuck anyone? Of course, it's not just uh, these crazy, um, you know, women who are being sycophants. of it's Also, he's got a whole cult, uh, Russell Brand. So, you know, because he used to be a very mainstream figure. He used to be on like, BBC and and Channel 4 and host all these TV shows and and that's by the way what is incredibly ironic about this whole process is that he's been exposed on by the BBC for conduct that he committed whilst employed at the BBC and whilst employed and whilst abusing other BBC employees so the BBC is kind of like presenting itself as this like you know hero like aren't we fantastic that we've uncovered all of this, um, this culture of sexual abuse that Russell Brown was the face of, and that he committed, you know, uh, out in the open for so long, isn't it great that we we exposed that and brought it to light? And it's like you didn't expose it; you fucking knew for decades because you had women at the BBC reporting his sexual abuse to HR, and then they were told to shut the fuck up because he's a, a very popular figure, and uh, if you don't shut up. We're gonna have to, you know, fire you because we'd rather uh, make the money off uh, him because we can't. Who else is gonna host Big Brother? You know, there's only so many people who can who can pull out of that that challenging gig. So, you know, the BBC is presenting itself as some some sort of hero because it's it's come out and you know and and exposed its 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 own fucking crimes. It's it's just it reminds me of if if you're in Australia, it reminds me of how um. Which, do you remember Don Burke, the host of Burke's Backyard, was uh, exposed during the Me Too era as being like a, a sexual pest and, and an abuser uh, on set uh, to a lot of uh, his colleagues. And uh, that was while he was filming this, sh- this Channel 9 show, Burke's Backyard. And then uh, Channel 9's sh- a current affair, hosted by Tracy Grimshaw, then sat down with Don Burke the next day and had like the exclusive sit-down interview with Don Burke about the crimes that he committed whilst employed at Channel Nine. I mean, it was really the, the a perfect example of a a a network having its cake and eating it too. Like having its enabling its abuser and then profiting off the demise of that abuser. It's really, really, um, it's genius work, I got to say. So congratulations to Channel 9 uh, on how they managed the Dom Burke scenario and kudos to the BBC for somehow uh, turning this into a ratings winner for themselves and presenting themselves as the hero for uncovering their, all, their own fucking crimes. I mean, at this point, like maybe Russell Brand could have, you know, done his own investigation to himself and then said, hey guys, I've done an investigation into myself and discovered that I am an abuser. And after sitting down with myself and and going and trawling through my emails and my text messages, I have discovered that I'm am a rapist and a sexual abuser. Aren't I a hero for bringing my own crimes to light? Um, maybe Russell Brown should have said that, and people people would have said, "Ah, oh, hey, well, he's good on him for bringing these this abuse to to light," and uh, you know, he's clearly a hero, and he's the good guy in all this. But of course, he hasn't done that. He actually came out and he released a, a very bizarre video on, on on the internet where he you know, denies all the, all the allegations um, of sexual abuse. He, of course, he admits to having sex with lots of women, but he says it was all consensual. The funny thing is, though, that when he released the video, it's one take, but they had to edit in the word consensual. So he, he says um, all of these relationships were consensual, um, but there's a clear hard edit when he says the word consensual, which means that he did a take and then someone said, hey, Russell, you forgot to say consensual. And he went, oh, shit, that seems to be an important word to use when I'm defending myself against rape. So uh, he has to do another take and put the word consensual in. Just a very, very bizarre video. I'd be like, Russell, just fucking, just start again, do another take in it. Don't have an edit over the word consensual. That's really the one word uh, you want to have uh, just clearly, uh, naturally placed into your sentences. Of course, all of his uh, his sicker fans on the internet, you know, believe him because... They think that he is being silenced because he used to be part of the mainstream, you know, he used to be part of the part of the BBC, he used to be in movies and like, the, you know, that movie, Get Him to the Greek, that awful movie, he used to be in all these movies and then uh, he, he left the industry, I wonder why, I wonder what caused him to stop being employed by uh, the industry. Was it the fact that perhaps he had been dogged by allegations of sexual abuse for decades? Was it perhaps the fact that women didn't feel comfortable working around him? Was it perhaps the fact that after the Me Too movement, everyone was like, oh, I think it's a matter of time before Russell uh, gets exposed. So let's uh, kick him off the TV for a little bit and let him make his YouTube videos and make it their problem. So Russell Brand over the past few years has kind of rebranded himself as, sorry, it's kind of hard not to use the word brand. I'm not trying to make a pun here. It's just hard. Just the word brand is is just a word that people use. So Russell Brand has rebranded himself as like this weird anti-establishment uh, self-help guru. Not exactly like Joe Rogan, but kind of like in that style. of this guy is like, you can't trust the media, you can't trust the narrative. You know, kind of like kind of like Andrew Tate, like you know, stay free. Don't let them control your mind. Like avoid that. You know you're all living in the matrix unless you follow me and and buy my book and buy my supplements and subscribe to my Patreon and join my 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 cult and my festival. I mean, this is a guy who literally, if you've seen a photo of him recently, feel free to to right now Google Russell Brand. Uh, He just he dresses like Charles Manson. He dresses like he's a leader of a cult figure. It's the most unsurprising thing that he's a sex pest, a sexual abuser, and yet the people in his cult find it hard to believe that he is somehow uh, a bad guy. They're like, oh, he's being silenced. Uh, Russell Brand is being silenced because, you know why he's being silenced? Because he's telling people to take ivermectin. Guys, no one gives a fuck about Russell Brand telling people to take ivermectin. No one gives a sh... That's not something where you get taken off the internet for. I mean, that was like three years ago, everyone like had made fun of Joe Rogan For recommending ivermectin and and no but he didn't lose like no one's getting cancelled for ivermectin you know people are getting can then people say oh he's this is the same as like you know edward snowden and 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 julian assange you know like look at julian assange you know he got accused of sex crimes and and that's because he you know was uh telling stuff that the the government didn't want you to hear look that is that conspiracy is is far more possible to me than russell Brand because Julian Assange. He was accused of rape, and I'm not diminishing the, the the allegations, which I think are quite credible that have been made against him. But what I will say is that, of course, Julian Assange is an enemy of the establishment because he's literally like been running WikiLeaks, and of course, you know they they want to silence him because he's releasing like classified military documents on the internet that, of course, the U.S. government doesn't want the public to know. About how they're still torturing people in Guantanamo Bay, they don't want people to know about the fucking waterboarding and the fucking electrodes being attached to testicles happening offshore. Of course, the government wants want that. That's that's something that would raise the ire of the establishment. But uh, Russell Brand telling people to take ivermectin is not. No one gives a fuck. That's not on the same level as uh, you know telling people about war crimes. So. If you think that Russell Brand is being silenced by the establishment because of his views on the vaccine, you're an idiot and you're a dumb person uh, and you don't listen to this podcast anyway. So there's probably no need for me to kind of like go any further. But if you're listening to this podcast and you know someone who thinks that way, please just send them this part of the podcast uh, and tell them that they're idiots. Let me pass that message along for you. Speaking of idiots, um, we've got a lot of no voters uh, who are a lot of people are going to be voting no on the uh, upcoming referendum, the voice to parliament, and uh, look, I understand. Uh, well, I understand why people might vote no. I, I understand, you know, being scared. I understand being racist. I understand being prejudiced. I understand. I understand that, and those people uh, are morons. But something else that's really um, kind of uh, Deeply upsetting me about this referendum. It's it's not just, of course, the people who are the trolls on the internet who are saying I'm going to vote no, and you know if you don't know, vote no, and all those idiots. That's obviously upsetting. What's also very upsetting is the way in which corporations are jumping onto this as yet another social cause, so that they can just you know, b- you know, maintain their brand or or change their brand or just win over the public it's similar to the way in which like, you know, every year for pride month, you know, all these companies like ANZ release a a rainbow pride logo. And they're like, Hey, you know, if you want to suck and fuck um, someone from your own race, we support you. And if you want to, you know, blow your boyfriend in the cubicles at work for that month, you can do it. You want to scissor in the, at your desk uh, at ANZ, you know, go for it, do it on your lunch break, you're welcome. Don't do it, please. Went during when you're meant to be working. But if you want to take your lunch break to to um, eat out your your partner, your your girlfriend on on the on company time, uh, don't do it. But if it's on your on lunch break, absolutely, you're welcome to do it. So you know all these all these companies like during Pride Month, were like, hey, we support the gays, we love them. And then of course, you know, they that support did not extend uh, to their like Middle Eastern you know employees. It didn't extend to. Their employees who are working in countries where it's illegal to be gay you know like you know BMW changed their their logo to the rainbow you know in America and in Australia and the UK but uh they weren't popping up the rainbow flag on their uh, you know on their uh building in fucking uh Riyadh were they uh you know because they don't want to get beheaded so i guess my point is that that's very upsetting to see the the way in which companies will uh exploit what I think is like a really good social cause in order to make a quick buck. And in doing so, they kind of really, I think, diminish it uh, and delegitimize it to some extent. And I think that's kind of what BHP has, has done with the voice campaign, because uh, BHP is, it's, they're not just like any company. So they're not like, Coles has come out come out to support the voice. And I, I don't think there's like any kind of like hypocrisy in that just because like, I don't really think they really have an impact on indigenous people either way but the BH, bhp is a mining company like their entire business model is we find land that has minerals that we want to take and we dig big holes and we blow shit up and we see seize those natural resources from the traditional land that was Part of you know that used to be owned and and controlled by indigenous people, but then of course colonization. Now you know it's it's now it's white people's. But BHP are they're they're having real negative, real damaging impacts. Like mining companies like BHP, uh, they're part of the problem. They're part of the uh, they're part of the 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 corporates world that is actually um, exploiting. And destroying and undermining Indigenous uh, land rights. I mean, for fuck's sake, if if they found oil under Uluru, BHP would be like, "We're fine. We're getting that." Like BHP would be like, "These these these are not people who give a shit about Indigenous self-determination." If they found copper underneath Uluru, they'd be like, "We're blowing it up, and we'll come to an agreement with the traditional owners." After we've after we've got the fucking copper out, like these, this is not a company that gives a shit about uh, indigenous rights. The only reason they are supporting this is because they need to like present an image. They need to present a brand um, as a company that does support indigenous rights, because they don't want to be perceived as the guys who go in, blow up, you know, sacred indigenous sites, uh, and and you know, pillage the land for its resources without the consent and permission of the local elders. But of course, that's exactly what they do. That's their entire business model. And now they come out and say, hey, we are voting yes to the voice. We think that absolutely there needs to be an advisory body that allows Indigenous people to have a voice to Parliament. Oh, sorry, did you guys just say that that you want us to stop... Mining uh, local indigenous sites. Shush shush shush, 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 shush. We don't. Not that voice. Not that voice. Silence your voice. Silence your voice. We think that indigenous people need to have a voice. No, when they're complaining to us about the fact that we blew up, you know, a sacred site that had, um, you know, uh, paintings on the walls from 60,000 years ago. No, we don't want them to have a voice then. But you know, it would just be nice if in the future. You know they could have a voice and it would be nice for you to know that we support that so that next time uh, we uh, decide to dig a big hole on an ancient uh, indigenous site you remember that we're one of the good ones so uh, thank you BHP uh, for coming out and uh, supporting this really important cause uh, so altruistically you truly are uh, the heroes of the mining world and speaking of this current debate around the referendum, uh, see the No campaign have been rolling out uh, uh, Warren Mundine, and they've been uh, rolling out uh, Jacinta Price because these two people are Indigenous people, and it's great because when they, when Indigenous people say uh, we are not supporting the voice to Parliament, you can't say they're racist, and that's and that's fair enough. You can't say. They're racist you can certainly say look i think you're acting against your own interests i think you're acting against the interests of the vast majority of indigenous people who are supporting the voice and who worked for years to put together the uluru statements to get this going you're acting against those interests you're not racist but you're certainly acting against those interests and perhaps you're acting against those interests for your own political goals that's possible they might not be racist but that's also possible but these, the no campaign love being able to be like hey look at this we got some indigenous people so we can't all be racist you know it's like when Pauline Hansen says how how can I be racist I I, I know uh, I know a black person you know that's what the no campaign is doing with Warren Mundine and just Price. they're saying hey look we've got a, we got a couple we got a couple so take that we got two take that you know you can't call us racist we got we got a couple now this strategy has has backfired in the last couple of days for the No campaign uh, because uh, Warren Mundine uh, kind of went off script a little bit in an interview the other day because he was being asked about his opposition to the voice to parliament and he was like saying, look, I think this is bad, you know, it's going to divide the country or, you know, it's going to perpetuate this this victimhood mentality, it's going to perpetuate this idea that there's uh, trauma that is intergenerational, passed, passed down from indigenous generation to indigenous generation. He was kind of like opposing the voice to Parliament on on, the, on that basis. He was kind of like sticking on those talking points. Now those are talking points that you know he wants to hit, and those are talking points that the No campaign wants him to hit. They're like, stick these talking points. You know, we love your voice. We love your voice. Your voice is great. It, so long as your voice is just sticking to these talking points that we that we that we put in your voice. If you can just stick to these talking points, put them in your voice, that'd be great. So we can stop another voice. So we can just put these points in your voice. Please stick on just those points, your voice, those points, and then we can stop another voice from coming over. So that's been the strategy of the no campaign. It's been somewhat effective so far, but it has come unstuck. It was kind of inevitable that it would because Warren Mundine was impressed on his, a- his opposition to the no vote. And he said, look, of course I support like, you know, Indigenous self-determination. And he came out and said, look, I would be supportive of a, of a treaty between Indigenous people and white Australians. I'd be supportive of a treaty. Not only would I be supportive of a treaty, I would also support changing the date of Australia Day. And boy, could you just imagine uh, the, the screams and yells coming from uh, Peter Dutton's house when Warren Mundine made those comments. Because this is the thing, like, the people who are voting no, the vast majority of the people who are voting no are racist. So that that's I'm, that's just not even like... That's just a true statement. They're right. Ra- if you push these people far enough, you ask them, you probe them enough, you'll get something racist out of them. You know that's what's going to happen. Of course, of course they can't do that. They can't say they're they're racist. They have to, you know, say the same talking points that Warren Mundine and the No Vote has been saying. You know, so cuz but now Warren Mundine has come out and said, "No, I think the voice is bad because you know, we should actually instead have a treaty, and we should actually change the date of Australia Day. Now all these races like, ah oh, fuck, we don't want to fucking. Now you're seeing their true colours. They're like, ah oh, fuck, we don't want a treaty. You know, we don't want a treaty with these fucking. And, you know, then they say some racial slurs. Nah, it's Australia Day, Jan twenty six. Best country in the world. You know, we fucking love Jan 26. Uh, fucking Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Britain and British and Aussie. And yeah, it's more, it's stubbies and it's Cronulla. And go up to sharkies. And yeah. so the point is that this this, this uh, strategy that the No campaign had has kind of come undone because clearly, because uh, they've, they've put a person who is not racist, uh, Warren Mundine, as the face of their campaign. And he is the leader of a campaign that is racist. And um, that's finally, finally, that tension has come to the fore. Do you know what I mean? It'd be like, I don't know, the it'd be like you know, the KKK like getting Kanye to be their spokesperson because they're like, well, Kanye hates the Jews and, and we hate the Jews, so let's have Kanye as our spokesperson. But inevitably, you know, that relationship will break down because there are some kind of like uh, irreconcilable differences between the KKK. And Kanye West, in the same way, there are kind of irreconcilable dis, uh, differences between uh, Warren Mundine being indigenous and the No campaign being uh, very, very racist towards the indigenous. So it's big exciting to see what happens with that. But uh, one last story that really caught my eye this week was: uh, it's can I just say it's you know, you look at international politics and you just wonder like where is the hope? Where are we going to find common ground between nations? Because, you know, there's so much tension between countries these days it feels like you know uh, you know europe is there's a lot of tension between european countries you know australia and the us and china there's all this like all this tension in all these countries all these like uh all this simmering conflict is happening so it's nice when you see uh, two countries just getting together and you know putting their differences aside and 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 coming and and, and building a, a friendlier ties and and I really think that, you know, uh, North Korea and Russia coming together is a great example of that. It really, it really inspires you to have confidence in the, the potential for international diplomacy to heal old wounds and bring forward a, a world of, of harmony and fruitful relationships. Because Kim Jong-un, the, uh, the dictator of North Korea, has uh, met up with Vladimir Putin, the dictator of... Of Russia and it's nice when the dictators get together because you know often they're not allowed to travel outside of their countries you know it's like hard for Kim Jong-un to leave North Korea because when he does um, you know people want to arrest him and kill him for all the war crimes and it's the same with you know Vladimir Putin it's hard for him to leave Russia because uh, when he does um, you know people want to arrest and kill him for all the war crimes too so it's nice that these two blows can finally just get together socialize Meet someone new so kim jong-un uh, he doesn't fly because you know, he thinks that if he flies his plane is going to get shot down as if he were like a russian oligarch so um he took a train an armored military train uh from north korea uh, to russia so north korea and russia have a border crossed over the border and he met up with vladimir putin and for a week they just kind of hung out for a week it's kind of it looks fun i was looking at some of the photos um Li- the Kim Jong Un literally was treated to a performance from a walrus. I'm not joking. Like uh, the the Russians were like, "Welcome to Russia. Please enjoy some local Russian culture. Uh, please enjoy uh, this walrus uh, that we have trained to do little tricks." Uh, so they got the walrus out. Uh, we also know the Russians have been training uh, dolphins, you know, to be to be spies. So uh, hopefully Kim Jong Un got to see like a dolphin do a little trick as well with the walrus. Maybe the dolphin could have like you know shot like an AK-47, and uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking how much uh, new military technology the Russians could like show to Kim Jong-un because the reason why they had this meeting was to trade, uh, just it was for military trade. I mean, you know, you might be thinking, oh no, they're just there to hang out. You know, they both had a tough, you know, a tough few months, you know. Um, Putin's obviously, you know, had the, the war in Ukraine and a lot of his close personal friends, these oligarchs. Keep accidentally falling out of windows, and their planes keep crashing, and that's hard for Putin. You know he's losing a lot of a lot of close friends. You know that's it's really upsetting. You know he's he's had to bury a lot of friends. It's very very upsetting for Putin. Uh, North, you know Kim Jong Un is having a tough time in North Korea. You know because you know his his people are um, are starving, and uh, and they're eating uh, they're eating crickets and they're eating rats. And you know we know that Kim Jong Un is a very empathetic man. He's he's very upset by this and uh and you know when he gets upset you know he he eats he eats his feelings you know and that's why that's why he's a bit chubby you know because he eats his feelings and he sees his people suffering and it makes him so upset that they can't eat and then you know he goes and he snacks and he you know and he's a snacker and uh and and seeing the troubles of his own people you know compels him to to you know put something in his mouth and just kind of like you know deal with those emotions you know he eats his emotions and and that's why he's a bit chubby. And so, you know, they're both having difficult times. They're both going through some difficult times. So, you know, it was nice for them to be able to hang out, you know, just like, you know, ask each other, are you okay? And, you know, just kind of like be there for each other. Um, but of course, ostensibly, it was that's what it was for, ostensibly. But they also had were there to chat about um, uh, military trade. So the Russians uh, want some uh, shells from North Korea. So the Russians are short on shells uh, in their war in Ukraine. So they've They've gone to kim jong-un and say hey we you know these shells um we don't have enough can we have, have some of your shells and um kim jong-un is like oh great because i thought you're gonna ask for food and like fuck, we don't i've kind of i'm kind of all out so um kim jong-un is like yeah sure we can do shells uh and kim jong-un is like but you know this isn't you know it's not just a one-way street. you know we're gonna ask something in return and uh putin's like uh what do you want to return and Kim Jong-un says, well, you know, the one thing, that we just need the one thing that the country needs. we need, There's one thing that our people need more than anything. And uh, Putin said, is, do you mean, oh, like food aid? You would like some, maybe some like potatoes, um, maybe some borscht, um, maybe some beetroots, some cabbage. We do that stuff quite well. And Kim Jong-un said, oh, no, 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 that, no, we don't need, don't need that, um, but thank you for the offer. What we need is nuclear technology. So what we need is um, technology that allows us to uh, send our nuclear weapons across the ocean so they can land in places like um, Washington, D.C. and New York City. So we would love some nuclear technology. Um, Don't worry about the foods. We'll we'll sort that ourselves. But we'll give you some shells. You give us some nuclear technology, uh, and that'd be great. And so it seems over a week of watching uh, walruses um, balance balls on their noses, they have come to this really, really, um, beautiful, beautiful trade that is going to allow the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, to continue um, endlessly, um, and which is fantastic for the military industrial complex. So you know, if you're, you know, if you're the CEO of Lockheed Martin, this is so great. Like if you've got shares, you know, in a company that manufactures weapons of war, this is such great news, and it's really heartwarming stuff for those people to that they know that they can they can eat. You know, they'll be able to put food on the table because the war in Ukraine uh, continues. Um, and of course, you know, North Korea gets its nuclear technology and, and that's great because now they can, um, you know, build more dangerous nuclear weapons that can travel further and, and reach the east coast of America. And that's, you know, that's for North Korea, that's huge because they've been finding it very difficult to like get their nuclear weapons to work. You know, they were very excited about the release of Oppenheimer Um, because they thought well this is a great chance for us to learn you know so you know most of us went to see Oppenheimer because we we were fascinated by the internal struggle of Robert Oppenheimer who of course was the father of the atomic bomb and then was kind of like you know a bit upset about how it was you know used to kill people Um, but of course Kim Jong-un the North Koreans uh, were were watching uh, the that movie as kind of like a bit of an instruction manual to be like okay how do we how do we get the how do we get the thing to explode over can we make it smaller so that were kind of like, it was for them it was really educational um, for them so um, i think that's probably why no one really saw barbie in north korea um i think it's mostly because you know oppenheimer was really um, just a lot more relevant to their plans at the time i'm not am sh- just not sure if feminism has kind of reached north korea yet, yeah, but when it does oh they're going to love barbie So let's leave on that. Let's end the episode on that positive note. Um, You know, basically, you know, the UK is crumbling, uh, just like Russell Brand's uh, reputation. Uh, The no vote campaign is is falling apart, but the yes campaign is going from strength to strength, thanks to the um, the good work from uh, altruistic companies like BHP. But uh, it might all come for come to nothing when. North Korea starts sending across uh, nuclear weapons. So um, guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Sorry for the uh, pessimistic outcome. Um, I'll be back next week with another episode, assuming uh, North Korea uh, hasn't worked out how to make uh, a bomb yet. So you guys stay well, um, stay near a bunker. Uh, That would be handy. And uh, hopefully I'll see you next week um, before the nuclear holocaust.